Welcome to Uphill Conversations, your ride-along partners for your emerging future. Everything in life worth having is uphill. You can't go uphill with downhill habits. It's time for another show with your host Tim Picararo and Megan Finner. Are you ready to be inspired? Hello and welcome to Uphill Conversations. I'm your host Tim. And I'm Megan. And we are glad you can join us as you are living your life and heading towards your emerging future. Hopefully, you are eliminating any downhill habits and canceling out all agreements with limiting beliefs. And yes, it is true. You can be more, do more, and have more. So, yo, hello, and hola, Megan. Hello. What's going on? Well, not much. We just recorded an awesome interview. It's episode 44. That's right, 44. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. It was great. It, we had a great time with this person. We did. And the cool thing is um, this week we've actually talked to two people we met at GroCo in New Orleans. And that's one of the people that we're interviewing today. They were like um, just, they were shining stars, I mm-hmm. think. They were like, just like, boom. You yeah. know, they were like just magnetism, magnetic. You know, they were... Um, inspirational, aspirational. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just, you know, and what I like is they're approachable too. Yeah. And the coolest the thing, ubbles. the coolest thing about the guest um, we have on the show today is that I actually met her just by sitting next to her in the audience for one of the opening keynotes. So it was, it was pretty neat, kind of like kismet. But uh, before we jump into the show, I have a random question for Tim. Okay. Are you ready? Um. <laughs> Yeah, so this is not cryogenic, is it? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and by the way, speaking of the question from last week, so Tim gave me, um, he he was not very nice about my response because he, he thought I should have something deeper. I, I want to put it on the record. It's on the record. That he asked that question to three additional people and they all answered exactly how I did. Okay, I need to correct you. It wasn't three. <laughs> okay. It was four. <laughs> <laughs> and they all answered exactly the same way. So, to those of you listening, I, I didn't. It was bad. It was. It was a great question. I just didn't ask it properly. You didn't set it up the right I way. I didn't set. It, I could have set it up better. Yeah. So, anyways, so that back, means there's a lot of pressure on your question today. I think this is going to be good. Oh, so you? you I hope so because. Yeah. Okay, so Tim. Yes. What is your least favorite place? you've ever visited and why wow <laughs> okay this is like me now going on the record again <laughs> that i gotta say this out loud and in, into the world yeah so your least favorite place you've ever visited and why because i'm gonna name something and if i do then what if those people are what if you're listening right now sorry <laughs> sorry that's not fair to me okay my least favorite place to visit and why? Well, yeah, that you ever visited and why was it the worst? And ever. Mm-hmm. Like ever and why? Yes. Oh my gosh, Megan. This is like, I don't even know if this is fair. Because first of all, I have like a lot of places. Some of them are because of the things I did when I was there. Okay. And that's why I wasn't favorite. Because maybe I got in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, that was like, you know what I mean? Like, so it could be a good place, but it was, I made it bad. Okay. So- can, so is it about me doing something it's or your interp- just your bad? interpretation of it? Oh my gosh, this is just such a bad setup. Okay, um, let's see. I would say 
It was in West Virginia. Okay. Are you going to give any more specifics about that? I'm just going to leave it as West Virginia. <laughs> okay. West Virginia, mountain <laughs> mama. mama. <laughs> yeah. Take me home. Right? Is that, yep. what is it? Country, Country roads, roads or something? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, in, it was in West Virginia. Okay. And why was because I absolutely, positively was not prepared with the people that I'm, for the people that I met. That you encountered. That I encountered. Okay. And I stayed the night in okay. West Virginia mm -hmm. and I was like afraid the whole night. Like this was not a place that I should be. Okay. Like I should leave. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing was, it wasn't my car. Right. I didn't. It, I mean, like I, I'd have to steal a car or something or just start walking. Right. But I, I really would say that I legitimately more than like being in New York, mm -hmm. like Chicago or any right. other place that I've, you know, where, right. you know, I grew up in inner city places. Yeah. Right. So as a kid, I've been in rough spots. Yeah. I wanted to leave. <laughs> I was okay. afraid. Okay. So if you want more details on that, you can email Tim. I'm just no. kidding. But West Virginia. Okay. So I'll take it. It's not that the state's bad. So those of you, if you're listening and you're in West Virginia, I like you. <laughs> okay. You weren't a part of that unless you were there. If you were there. If you were one of the people that he engaged encountered, me, yeah, then you I, can just keep that to yourself. Yeah, keep it to yourself. Okay. So, but that was where I was Okay. when that happened. Well, fair enough. <laughs> All right, so um, this is episode 44. Um, we are interviewing Laura Vanderkam. She is an author and a speaker. Uh, we first met her, like we said earlier, at GroCo in New Orleans. And um, she has really gotten interested in this whole idea of time management, um, written a few books, and been interviewed on different news programs. But it was just really neat to talk to her about just the whole concept of you have 168 hours in a week, and how do you spend that time yeah she was um i would say just in the flow of, of you know and how she kind of just worked through it because i get scared of time which which you know mm -hmm. and um i'm one of those people i like to like be in something like be there be present or and i hate wasting time but at the same time i just enjoy being in those moments mm -hmm. so maybe some people view that as a waste of time so she, you know, like kind of speaks a lot about just freeing yourself of those judgments, mm -hmm. because if you really want to be there, that's what matters. You know, you really just pick and choose the things that are important. And those are the things that you do. But you just just be there, be present. And that's that's the most important thing. So I really like that part. Yeah. You know. Well, it's a great conversation. So we would love to hear from you guys um, what you think about it and give us any great feedback or ideas that you have, any inspiration from it. You can connect with us on Facebook um, or you can find us on Twitter at Uphill Convo. And of course, you can always contact us via email at Megan at UphillConversations.co or Tim at UphillConversations.co. So without any further delay, let us jump into this interview with Laura Vanderkam. Welcome to Uphill Conversations. Uh, we have a great guest today, uh, Ms. Laura Vanderkam. How are you doing today, Laura? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We are so excited to have you on the podcast for those of you out there, just to let you know, we had the pleasure of meeting Laura at the GroCo conference 
earlier this year in New Orleans. So, Laura, why don't you um, go ahead and let our guests know a little bit about you and your area of expertise? Yeah, I was at GrowCo speaking about my favorite topic, which is time and how we spend it. I write books about time management and productivity. Uh, Some of my titles have been 168 Hours and What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast. I love figuring out where the time really goes and how we can all spend it better. Very cool. I um, since meeting you, I actually went on and saw some of your uh, TEDx or your just your TED talk actually, and the different spots you had on some of the news channels, and it was fun um, to see you speaking about that. Uh, one of the things that I really like that I took away from your talk in New Orleans and some of the other things uh, reading your work is you say we don't build the lives we want by saving time. We build the lives we want, and then time saves itself. So I would love it if you could just dive a little bit into that and explain your thinking and how you came to that, um, make that statement. Yeah. So when you read a lot of time management literature, which I kind of have to as an occupational hazard, a lot of it is centered on this idea of shaving bits of time off everyday activities, and then you add all this extra time up and magically you'll have time for the wonderful things you want to do. And I really don't think life works like that. Time is actually highly elastic. It's, it's much better to start with the question, well, what do I want to spend my time doing and commit to doing those things? And then other stuff will start to take less time. I know personally, it's amazing when I'm really deeply into a project I'm doing for work, I spend a lot less time sort of rereading emails, getting inefficient about the answers, uh, checking it again and again, because I have something else I want to be doing. Now, it's not that I'm magically saying, how can I spend less time on email? It's that I have something else I really want to be doing, and so I spend less time on email. And I think that's how it goes with a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you're talking about where you spend your time, really it's a choice. So everything that we do, we're making a choice to spend our time that way. So in your world personally, where do you find yourself struggling the most when you're choosing, you know, maybe one thing over another? Yeah, it's always difficult to figure out where is the best place to be spending your time. Um, you know, I know from the writing perspective, I, I write books, I write articles. It's like, well, is this a good topic for me to be writing about here? Is this a good place for me to be writing about? Um, you know, figuring out how to spend leisure time is always challenging as well. I think most of us, a lot of us feel like, oh, I have no leisure time, so it doesn't matter <laughs> how to spend mm-hmm. But the truth is we do. It's just some things are easier to do with it than others. And I know I fall victim to this trap myself. Uh, it's very easy to spend a short bit of time surfing the web, for instance, or mm-hmm. maybe just reading a magazine that happens to be sitting there. And if it's what I really want to do at that time, that's great. But often if I'd put a little bit more thought into it, I'd say, oh, well, I could be reading a book during this time. If I'd gone to the trouble of finding a really good book for me to read and have it available, then I could use that time for that. Or maybe I could call a friend or something like that. But all those things take a little bit more effort and a little bit more thought. And so we don't wind up doing them as much as we might. That's great. You know, um, you know, wh- wh- I enjoyed your talk. So, um, and thank you. It, it was very, very good. And I'm a big, you know, I'm one of those, I hate waste. <laughs> I hate wasting time. <laughs> I hate wasting resource. Um, you know, anything waste just drives me crazy. So, I mean, basically, 
you know, this is a good way to help people all the way around with, you know, finding out like, you know, if you're going to do it, be deliberate, be intentional, let it be on purpose. Right. So, um, in your, you know, you know, purview, it'd be, I'm, I'm interested in your take on, you know, instead of having a, you know, everything can be, become a priority. You put something on a list and it's a priority, right? Everything. Um, and I just like to use an example. A lot of times I'm a musician as well. And back in the day when I used to travel in the late eighties, early nineties, I used to travel a lot playing with bands and doing stuff. And there was a guy one time that told me, he's like, Tim, look, your list is huge. Like, why don't you cut that list down, have songs in the pocket, right? That are just ready and cued to go, but you don't have to play them, but enjoy the ones that you're going to do the most where your best effort can be put into them. And if you have room for the other ones, bring them in. So in other words, don't just try to jam and cram everything into it. So a lot of people build lists, right? But they don't take the time to turn it into a schedule of priorities. How do you help people understand the difference between a list, which can make everything a priority almost, and just all this stuff that you can, you know, you don't know how to, you know, high, medium, or low, right? Like to tag it, but move it over into what belongs in my day. How do you help people find, you know, their path toward that conclusion? Well, I think it definitely takes some work. Uh, as you said, it, it's not intuitive. Like you have to think about it. And often it's advice from wiser people who come tell us that we need to focus on our priorities. Uh, I, I, you know, encourage people to think about long-term goals, but maybe even think about slightly more near-term goals, like what you'd like to have done personally and professionally by the end of this year, for instance. I mean, the end of 2017, what would you like to have done? What would make it an awesome year for you? And list those things out. And then when you have those things, you know that anything related to that short list of things uh, is going to be a top priority for you. Uh, that you can know to elevate that over other things. Um, you know, for you, if you know that in your personal life, you would really like to run a 10K, for instance, by the end of the year, then you know that getting your runs in is more of a priority than, say, hunting around for the perfect exercise class. I mean, that's something else. And maybe if you have extra time, you can take that. But if you know the running is what you really want to try doing, then you can focus on that. Same thing in professional spheres. I mean, if you know you really want to write a white paper establishing yourself kind of as a thought leader in a certain area, then you know that spending two hours on it Monday morning, let's say, researching that topic is a great use of your time. Uh, whereas if there's something else that's not necessarily a, uh, on your list of things you want to have done by the end of the year, it can still be a good thing to do, but it's not what you want to privilege within your schedule. So, so having this idea of relatively near term, but, but still enough farther off that, that it's something you need to work toward, uh, having your mind focused on that can help with figuring out what those priorities should be. And I think along with the idea of priorities and something else, Laura, that you shared was the idea that time is highly elastic. So we can't make more time, but it will stretch so that we can put into it what we want and more of what we want into that time. But when you're looking at this list of priorities and even as you're scheduling your day and thinking of how can I use my time better, I think it can sometimes be a little bit emotionally or mentally overwhelming to always feel this need to 
be getting things done and, you know, moving forward and keeping momentum. And man, I have this five minutes. I really want to be doing this one thing. I know this would be better for me, but I'm just feeling overwhelmed. So how can you make sure that you're building in time to to also regroup and to refresh. How can you make sure that you're doing that and not just feel like now that I've learned how to make my time more efficient and more effective, that I have to be filling it with things that are always um, advancing me? Well, I am definitely a fan of not filling time. (laughs) There is no reason to fill time with low value stuff. Um, I'm, I'm a proponent of filling some bit of time with the high value stuff and then just sort of not filling the rest. I mean, life will come up, something will fill the time, (laughs) Um, but, but it's better not to attempt to jam stuff that you don't really care about it into it because then you'll have the space when stuff does come up that you do need to do. Uh, You know, you can build in breaks during your day. People take breaks anyway. They just don't acknowledge that they're doing it. The vast majority of stuff on the web is getting read during people's breaks at work. Uh, but that's not necessarily the best form of break. Uh, it might be better to get up, get some fresh air, get some ac- activity and you know, go talk to someone you really like, wh- whatever it is. But figuring out a way that will really add to your energy levels as opposed to this stuff that we do because I, it's exactly what you're going to – we think we're still working. Like you're sitting at your computer. It looks like you're working. You can tell yourself you're working. I mean, you know, BuzzFeed is up on your computer, but like, sure, let's call it working, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so um, that's, I think, a trap people fall into. They don't want to acknowledge to themselves you're not really doing anything and, and going outside for 15 minutes is doing that. Like it's taking a real break. It's a great break, but it's actually acknowledging that you're taking a break. Whereas, you know, clicking over to something else online, uh, is not so obvious an acknowledgement of it. So I, I think that's what's often going on there. Sure. And so it's just that idea that you really need to actually schedule in that time to make sure that you are breaking away because like you said, we're probably taking breaks during the day and we don't even realizing it, which happens to be I look at my phone and all of a sudden I'm in Facebook land for 15 minutes. I don't feel re-energized or refreshed by that. I just feel like I've still been working to some extent. Yeah, because it's the same device, but but no, it's not working. I mean, let's not let's not fool ourselves here, right? <laughs> and so, um, but that's actually another thing that you know, I always encourage people to try tracking their time and uh, keeping some tabs on how much time that you think you're working is not spent working is is often eye opening for people. And I'm not saying that every minute at work should be spent on uh, a high priority project. I mean, because that's impossible. Like life doesn't work that way. But it would be good to know that if only half your time is being spent on on good stuff, that maybe you could be a little bit better about what you're doing with the other half, either consciously taking breaks or thinking of some other high quality things that could go in there, or just acknowledging maybe you can get out a little bit earlier if you do the things you're supposed to and and you're you know a little bit more efficient about not wasting time on things that don't matter to you. That's so true. Um, when it comes to like just time tracking, as you said, um, how do you, because it can be tedious to some people. Um, I don't know if you're a Dave Ramsey fan. I like, I like the way Dave Ramsey uses baby steps for people. He's like, you look, you know, here's that snowball. Here's some other stuff. So, you know, our listeners, whether they like him, they don't, they don't know who he is. It's just something I appreciate that he does. 
he has a plan. He's like, you know, if you've got $60,000 in your savings account and you've got $120,000 in student loans combined between a hundred uh, a husband and wife, pay that off. Take the 60000 pay it off, but keep a thousand, you know, out of that 60000 use a thousand to put into an emergency fund. And so he's trying to get people, you know, to think differently about how they're going about stuff. So when you say time tracking, it could almost seem insurmountable for some people or a little bit more tedious. So in what would your baby steps formula look like for someone to get them to begin to at least start to recognize their time, see how they're using their time, and then eventually get to where it means so much because they can see how this is changing for them to where they actually will do the tedious work to make sure that they are using their time you know, to the, to their advantage. Yeah. I, I, well, first I want to suggest to people who are thinking that time tracking is tedious, that it's really not as bad (laughs) as you might think it would be. Um, I have a spreadsheet I use, which right there, I know I say spreadsheet and half your listeners' eyes have just totally glazed over. Anyway, but bear with me. <laughs> spreadsheet. For a oh my gosh. <laughs> she, she just used the F. She word. dropped the, yeah, spreadsheet. <laughs> and then they're like, so, is that PowerPoint? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Bear with me here. It literally takes me three minutes a day, okay? And I have my spreadsheet that's got the days of the week across the top of it, the half hours of the day going from 5 a.m. to 5 a.m. along the left side. I make all kinds of shortcuts. Like I will just call something work. I mean, I just said, you know, it's good to know how much time you're spending on Facebook. And if you think that's where a lot of time is going, sure, track that. But you can just make broad categories, work, sleep, housework, time with family, uh, reading, exercise, volunteering, whatever it is you do. Um, So I don't try to account for every minute. Just broadly, what did I do with that half hour? And because I'm, you know, willing to say, okay, broadly what happened with that half hour it's easy enough to keep going. And I only have to check in usually like twice a day to write down what I've done since the last time I checked in. That said, I know a lot of people will not do it. (laughs) You don't have to go for a whole week, which is what I recommend. You know, try two weekdays and one weekend day. If they want to try baby steps, try one day, just see if you can track one day and see how it goes. But if you absolutely feel like you cannot do that, it's all about mindfulness. So ask yourself at the end of the day, a couple questions about your day. First, what did you like most about what you spent your time doing? Uh, second, what do you want to spend more time doing? Uh, and then how can you make that happen in the next day or couple of days? And then what do you want to spend less time doing? And then how can you make that happen in the next couple of days? And by having that sort of mindful approach to your time, asking what worked and what didn't work, you can start to make choices that are better for you in and of itself, looking at even if you don't have the actual numbers in front of you. So with that whole idea of just being more mindful and consciously deciding, where do I want to spend more time? Where do I want to spend less time? Have you ever run into a situation, either yourself or with people that maybe you're working with, where they make these decisions, okay, I want to spend more time here and less time here, and they run into a challenge with other people trying to get them to understand maybe that they're shifting what they're doing and how they're reworking their schedule, because maybe other people in their lives are used to what they're doing. And I mean, have you ever run into that type of a situation? Of course, all the time. I mean, people become comfortable in their lives. And part of being comfortable in your life is that everyone else is sort of comfortable with it too. Everyone's made their accommodations and sort of figured out who does what. And maybe somebody isn't happy with it, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that everyone wants to change everything all of a sudden. 
so, you know, one place I see this, I don't know if this is what you're thinking about, maybe probably not actually, but people will decide I'm kind of done with doing all the housework. <laughs> that what are you doing. talking about? People love housework. <laughs> they've been doing the lion's share in their family, and they really believe it is time for other people, be that a spouse or partner or their children or whatever, to step up their game. And so, you know, they can try to have a conversation about it, trying to encourage other people to do it. But the best and most effective way is just to stop doing it, right? And mm. then other people can figure out, huh, that's interesting. The laundry doesn't do itself. I never knew that. Right? <laughs> and, and so then, you know, at first people are grumbling a lot. You know, the teenagers are like, but I don't have my favorite jeans. Like, well, you can do something about that. <laughs> like if you put it in the wash tonight and then the dryer, it'll be clean tomorrow morning for school. You know, magic happens. Uh, and, and so it, there is a lot of grumbling, of course. And people are often not, you know, eager to have things change. But ultimately, you know, we can only control ourselves. We can't control other people's happiness. And if it is important enough to you to change something in your life, then people will either deal with it or they will make their own changes or they will come up with something else to do. That's a great answer. And thank you, Laura. For, I mean, that's just great. And this is going to go in a whole different direction, but I love it because it just opened this thing up. That's like, I call that tough love. You know, I call it tough love. It's like, it's a reality. And you know, not everybody that's, you know, just because you want to go somewhere doesn't mean everybody wants to go there as well. And so in that case, though, when you said, you know, you're not responsible for their happiness, you know, other people have to learn to contribute and be involved and get invested as well. What happens, though? What do you what do you do with people or how do you um, I don't know if you ever get in any coaching with this or. Um, you might go, nope, I just step away. I don't know. I don't know what your, your world is like on a, a daily basis. But, you know, how do you tell people when it comes to that to really give them that confidence when it comes to that situation to just say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to keep carrying this load. It's not I'm not going to be the one that's going to be responsible for all of this. And I stopped doing it. You can see what could be done to change it. You can participate if you would like. Right. But still on the inside, people still deal with, am I a bad person? Am I not a good partner? You know, am I a bad parent or am I, you know, just, you know, whatever, like in any of those categories, people still deal and wrestle with that. What do you do to help people overcome that? Well, I'm not a psychologist, so I'm probably not the best. <laughs> That's OK. No, to, just be practical. Yeah. But I will say that. Um. I mean, part of it is about realizing, you know, looking at things from a broader perspective. I mean, the vast majority of things that get us unhappy in any given moment will not matter to us in a year. That's and true. So true. It could be. It could be less. You might not even be thinking about it two days from now. I mean, you know, right. somebody sends you a hot email and you're all mad about it. Like, can you? I bet that happened a year ago today. And can you remember what it was? I, I can't. No, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of anything yeah. that happened. And do I want to remember it? <laughs> right. That I was upset about that. I'm sure I spent some amount of time on, on this day a year ago upset about something, but I have no right. idea what it was, you know? Right. And, and so that's uh, how I think we have to deal with these sorts of things. It's like, you know, we can do our best and we can try to think about how other people are feeling. But on some level, you know, eventually, 
you lead the horse to water, they, they drink or they don't. And, and I, you know, I try to encourage people to take this long-term perspective on many things in general. I was, I was conducting a webinar for a group of people, um, not so long ago. And this one gentleman was a source of much fascination for this company because he had managed to take his week-long vacation completely off the grid every summer. And, you know, people weren't like, people weren't pointing him out as like an example of a bad employer. They were just sort of like, wow, this is really cool that he manages to do that. Like, how does he not worry about emergencies? I'm like, you know what? Every summer that he's done this, the past five years, I bet there has been an emergency every single one of those weeks, what you would call an emergency. But you know what? Nobody can remember what those were. Nobody knows what that emergency was five years ago. And and yet you're still here. Your company's still here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and yet... It, it's all moving forward. So stuff does happen, sure, but a lot of it doesn't really matter in the long run. And and I like that. And I really appreciate you just, and I know you're not a psychologist. We aren't either. And so <laughs> it's just the, you know, people just need real information. You know, they just need to hear it from, a, you know, maybe not from a psychological point of view. They just need it from a encouragement point of view. And I just appreciate the fact that you are, you know, you're just giving information and some insight. And, and I can tell a lot of this is based on your experience as well. That is going to be helpful. So thank you for doing that. No problem. Yeah. And I mean, I think uh, we've talked, we talked about this, Laura, when, when we uh, met previously about being a mom and being a working mom. And I think that, you know, where Tim was going with that is you want to maybe make these changes, you decide them, hopefully you can get your partner on board with you. But there is always that, that mommy guilt. And um, one of the things that I, another thing that I like is this idea of, if we give our kids our full attention during times, if we do separate and we really focus on our kids, then when you have to do something else, their experience with you is going to be so much richer that they're not going to need you as much. Um, how how have you experienced that? And you know, tell us a little bit more about your thoughts on that that whole idea. Yeah, I think what often happens, you know, when you're trying to do two things at once you're often doing neither of them all that well. Uh, and, and what people often really want from you is the, your full attention. And, mm-hmm. and when you give it, they, they need less of it than they might have thought. And you sort of give it without looking at your watch or anything. When it's all over, it'll be less time than you thought it was. So for many parents, I'd say, you know, walking in the door, you know, coming home from work or whatever, the kids want your full attention. Like, don't be on the phone when you walk in the door. Finish that phone call like down the street, park somewhere down the street and finish it. And then and then walk in when you be able to give full attention to it. it they're going to be bored after five minutes of telling you about their day. Like, they're going to go off and, and play something else. But but by giving them that five minutes and that you're not looking at your watch trying to end it, that can feel like, oh, that person's completely available to me. I don't want, I don't need them to be available now because I'm going to go play the Wii U with my friends. But like I had that when I had that and that was good. Cool. And Laura, I, I, you know, our show is called Uphill Conversations and we have this whole idea that everything worth having is uphill, but you can't get there with downhill habits. Do you have any particular story that you could share with our listeners where you've had an uphill challenge in your life that you've had to overcome? 
Hmm. I mean, you know, everyone has various challenges uh, that we have. Certainly in my writing, I it took a while to get any sort of audience for my books. Um, before I was writing about time management, I had a career book come out that I thought was great, but I don't think anyone else did. <laughs> so it didn't really sell all that well. And the particular publisher I was working with kind of declined to work with me again, which, wow. which was hard. Um, so then I felt like I was kind of completely starting over. Like I've already written a whole book. I thought it was straight, you know, to success from here. Sure. But then I took a long time to come up with a new topic of time and sort of have my material that I was writing about. And eventually I was able to find another publisher that was willing to take a chance on it. And I've been working with them ever since we've done many books together. And I think, I think they believe it's been a successful partnership. I, I certainly think it has been. And, uh, so sometimes you just have to keep at it, switch directions on some things, but keep the larger goal of trying to make my living with words one way or the other. That's awesome. And I, I appreciate, we both do, that you're just so open. And that's great because people need to hear that. They need to hear that, you know, it's not like you got up one day and, you know, lottery. <laughs> you <laughs> right. Know. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like, that did not happen. I love what you said. Like, you know, you wrote this book because I'm in the middle of finishing a book that I've been writing for 15 years. And it's because <laughs> I've just, I've had imposter syndrome, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? You should send me an email and go, where's, where's the book? Tim, I want to read it. <laughs> you know? So I say that, I say that often that I just need people to go, where's the book, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and what you just said, that is something that I would be like freaked out about. Like, whoa, I mean, you don't like the book? I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. I, it's perfect. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like, after 15 years. Yeah. Well, see, the good thing about spending less time than that on it is that you don't harbor illusions that they're <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so this is 15 of years of perfection. <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, here's, here's a phrase I often say, which uh, you can take with as you wish, but there. Um, done is better than perfect because there is no perfect without being done. That is correct. And I, I agree with it. I mean, I have been, I've treated this book like a redheaded stepchild. Like it <laughs> is, I've done everything else in the world. I've helped so many people do so many things. I do a lot of coaching, a lot of helping. I've been just, you know, so anyway, I'm just like, woo, but I love that. Thank you. Because that's just, that's, that's refreshing, you know, that you're willing to be that open and the way you shared it, it was like, wow, I could feel, mm -hmm. I could feel that like, wow. You know, a lot of people wouldn't do that. So moving on. <laughs> so, um, you know, um, when it comes to like, um, knowing that you only have so much time in a day, right. You know, I, you know, and I'm like you, I, when, when Meg and I, we talked about your session a lot. So after you did your session, I was like, wow, this is great. Like she's very informed. She's, she, you could tell she's put this stuff to test, like, you know, all that. I tell people, look, Tom Brady, I'm a new England Patriots guy. You know, the guy's 39, going to be 40 years old and he's playing ball out of his mind. Like you're not supposed to stay that way at that age, but he's like, that's what he does. But he has the same amount of time as everybody else. You know, Warren Buffett has the same amount of time. Mark Zuckerberg. Hey, the guy down the road running that successful, you know, hardware dis you know, distribution place. He's got the same time, right? Everybody's got the same time. He, she, whoever it is. It's how you use that time. So when it comes to you and like 
in bringing time in, and I think it goes back to that priority, which I know you're going to say, but how do you like take the time that you have really dig into one of your ideas and like really generate momentum? Like what's a discipline that you have? Something that you do, Laura, that you could share with our listeners, like something's in my head. Here it is. This is what I do first. And here's how I create some momentum with it. Well, it's a good question. I, I've realized over the years that if I don't want to do something, like I really am not going to do it. <laughs> and so yeah. every long project I have is because I'm fascinated by it in some way. And so that's a key question. I mean, you need to be honest about knowing yourself um, that often when we really do not want to do something, it's because there's a reason and that mm-hmm. we really do not want to do it. And that doesn't mean we get out of it. I mean, if it's a big project that was assigned to you for a job you wish to keep, then uh, yeah, you probably should figure out a way to motivate yourself. (laughs) But you can at least say, well, I know this isn't the right direction. So I'm going to finish this and get myself to the point where I won't be needing to do this, uh, whether it's, it's switching to a different you know, job within your company or, or just taking on some different responsibilities that you think are more to your strengths. So in terms of something that's a discipline, I write a lot. Um, I keep a blog, which is lauravandercam.com. Just throw that out there if any of your listeners want to come visit me there. But I blog probably four or five times a week. And I have done that for eight years, maybe even more. Hmm. And at the beginning, it was kind of rough because nobody was reading it. Uh, See that part about nobody buying my books earlier we talked about. (laughs) But it got better. I mean, the more I was writing, the more people started reading and the more people started finding me there. And uh, you know, now I can have a real conversation with people through the blog. So now I feel like there is an audience, and that makes it a lot easier to keep writing because I don't know if I disappear, they're going to wonder where I am. So it's uh, it that's a, a discipline, but it it has become easier over time, both as the habit has built and also as you feel rewarded for it it happening. So you know, I think that that's uh, sort of the key with any sort of discipline is is first you got to like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, you have to sort of, you know, just make yourself do it, even if it's not great, just keep making yourself do it with a relative level of consistency. And then see what sort of rewards you can come up with, um, whether that's that people start paying attention, or it's some other sort of reward that you can build into the system. Cool. And with that whole idea, so you find what you want to do, you make sure that it's something that you enjoy, because obviously, otherwise, like you said, it's always going to be something you're going to procrastinate, you're going to find something else to fill your time, just because you you don't necessarily want to get to it, even though you have to. But once you've sort of determined that and figured out, here are the things that I want to be doing, here's how I know I want to spend my time, here's how I think I can go about doing that. I think that there's that question to me of you, you've studied a lot of different people. And I'm curious around this whole idea of capacity. Have you have you found people that just naturally seem to have more capacity than other people within that 168 hours? Or is it really just a personal choice? Or is there actually something, I don't know, baked into their DNA, their personality, whether I'm creative or I'm logical, that leads me to have maybe greater capacity versus somebody else? Well, I certainly think that there are multiple versions of ourselves, and all of us can be at our sort of less motivated self or our more motivated self. I do believe that there are some people who probably have more energy 
mm-hmm. than other people. Um, and, and that doesn't mean they're better people. I mean, some people have, for instance, chronic health issues that are necessarily going to limit them. And, and for those people, they have to figure out what they can do within their limitations. And often there are amazing things that still can be done within mm-hmm. their limitations, but you have to sort of set your expectations appropriately. Um, but, you know, I, I, I see this often, and I think it's partly I'm drawn to write about productivity, and I'm probably one of those people who is sort of a bit higher energy about some things, and I'm into planning, and other people are not into planning. And so for me, the idea of like, oh, let me think through what I'm going to do this weekend and make sure that the things I want to do are on the schedule, and other people hear that, and they're like, that sounds like the worst idea ever. Like the idea of planning my weekend sounds like I want to do nothing. I want to do nothing this weekend. <laughs> Let me stop you there because I'm doing that with my, I have a 16 going on 17 and a 14 going on 15. And I literally like, I've been having this conversation with them for about a year because they get frustrated. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? And I'm like, and it's, it's Saturday morning. Well, not morning. Sorry. Because they're growing boys. And yeah, they so eat, they're not up to They eat it. Yeah. So <laughs> then they finally get up. So what are we doing today? And I'm like, I don't know. What did you plan to do? Right. And so I think that is powerful, Laura, what you're bringing up. Because I've told people I am now, the older I'm getting, I'll be 47 this year. And I'm getting to the point where I'm going, why can't you plan on your weekend? Why can't you like be thoughtful about your weekend? Everybody's trying to get so far away from the, their work mm-hmm. because of the fact that they may not even enjoy what they're doing. That could be one reason. I mean, I'm sure there's any other number of reasons, but they just don't think about what the weekend looks like or they just cram it with a bunch of busy work, but it's not anything that's meaningful. I agree. And, and I think the sort of Weekends can be the secret weapon of successful people. Not I love by that. Working, oh, not I love that. Around the clock, you know. That's I don't mean getting a leg up on the week that way, but I mean thinking about what what's actually going to add to my energy levels. Right. What what things can I think about doing? Where can I do them? How can I make the logistical arrangements so those happen? And and it does not mean scheduling every minute. I am not saying like every fifteen minutes you get something on the schedule. <laughs> and you're sending right. calendar invites to your family for dinner. Like, no, that is not what I am saying. I'm just saying, okay, there's three things I want to do this weekend that would add to my energy levels. I want to go for a bike ride. I want to have coffee with a friend of mine. I'm going to go to worship services. Boom. Three things, right? Like that's going to make a great weekend. And, and if you, you just think through it that way and think through it a little bit before it happens. And then, you know, when those things are going to occur, like you're, you're great. Like the rest mm-hmm. of the weekend can happen as it does, but you won't feel like you wasted your time and, you know, and you'll hit Monday ready to go because you're energized. So I, I'm, you know, I'm a scheduler and, and I know some people aren't, I think, you know, if you want to make a very full life, all the pieces fit together, you do have to be somewhat of a planner. Um, that's just the nature of the game of perhaps working parenthood, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, not every minute, it doesn't have to be every minute. Yeah. And I think just to take that a little bit further, one of the things that you've said is you have you have the power to fill your life with the things that deserve to be there. So as somebody who um, so I I mean, I'm self-admitted, I am a person who tends to say yes to too many things. And I'll just put that out there. So I love my work, but I also love my friends. I like to spend time with my family and I'm really involved in my community. And so sometimes I, I 
sit there and look at my schedule and I feel like, how do I choose this one thing over the other? And I think it's great to hear, okay, well, I have the power to figure out what deserves to be getting my energy and have my time. But sometimes it's hard to figure that out. So how do you work with people to help them work through that when they have a lot of commitments that they feel like all deserve to be there? How can you help them prioritize and think through what value those things are adding to their life. Yeah. I mean, well, it is about sort of the value you bring to them and that they bring to you. And for, you know, if you want to stick with something long-term, it pretty much needs to be energizing to you in some way, shape or form. And that doesn't mean that if it isn't energizing to you, it, it isn't a good thing in the general sense of it being a good thing. I mean, there's a million volunteer opportunities out there. They would all use your, you know, gifts, well, but you clearly can't do all of them. So you're better off focusing on, well, maybe what is one thing that I could go all in on and, and give, you know, generously of time and money, um, and, and sort of focus that way. And again, it doesn't mean that another idea isn't wonderful, but it's not the absolute best thing for you to do. So you're not making a judgment call about it. It says that you only have so many hours, mm-hmm. um, and, and if you take on too much, you will not be able to give your best to all those things. That said, I would not worry about, you know, it is not a bad thing to have lots of stuff in life that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some people thrive on having more things in their lives than, than others. And, you know, I've seen this with my uh, you know, sometimes I have to be careful what I say on my blog. And I was, you know, joking about people like freaking out because one kid had a track meet on the same day that another had a swim meet. And uh, a couple of people wrote me and they're like, well, you know, I understand that that's you know something that could probably both be dealt with in a day. But using that language about freaking out when some of us really like to have kind of a lot fewer things scheduled into our lives and other people are OK with having lots of stuff. You know, maybe we should acknowledge that some people really don't want to have that many things going on, right? Mm-hmm. They want to go to work and come home and just, you know, chill at home with their family, and that's fine. They maybe want to have one thing on the weekend. Others of us find that kind of boring, and we would like to do other stuff. And, you know, you should see the schedule with my four kids around here. There's a lot going on, but it doesn't feel overwhelming. We've got everything going, and we're all doing stuff we like. So I think it's all good. I think you just have to figure out what your comfort level is. And if, there are a bunch of things that you really love to do, then it's okay to have them all there. I love what you said about it's not judgment. It's not like, and I think that's what cripples most of us, right? Like you were just, we're turning it into a judgment thing. Like, or we may think we perceive that others view it that way. But at the end of the day, we can't, you know, take their point of view. We've got to take, you know, our point of view and, really be present, right? And make it meaningful and, you know, just be there, like to make it like, this is what I'm doing. I want to be there and I can't, you know, I can't, you know, short of cloning myself, right? Mm -hmm. Which probably wouldn't be, um, you're still not getting the real me anyway. Someone's getting a clone. (laughs) You know what I mean? Someone's not going to get me anyway. So would you rather have a clone or would you rather have me, right? (laughs) So I'm doing my best. and And I love that. That's very freeing language, like for me, because like I said, I've got 16 going on 17, 14 to 15, and a seven going on eight-year-old, right? So for me, yeah. I, I look at that and I go, and then, of course, seven going on eight, and she's and it's a girl, and she's the youngest, and the, the boys are, the you know, they're boys. It's like, oh, you know, 
it's so hard and you have to know like you know when she says papa why are you not you know and then my boy is like papa you know and like is she more important no she's not it's like i can't do them all so that's very freeing for me to hear you say that and yeah. uh, can i it, just tell you a funny story about that oh absolutely um, <laughs> So I was in the car with two of my four children, driving them both to their karate school because the two of them take karate. So it was my, my one daughter and one of my sons, and they were fighting and fighting about who was going, I, who was going to have me in their class because they had the two classes at the same time. <laughs> oh, boy. And I was like, you guys, come on, you've got to just be understanding about this. There is one of me and two of you. And then my daughter paused and she said from the back seat, well, if there were two of you, I'd want the real one. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. So that still wouldn't solve the problem. That you'd be fighting over which of you got the real one and which got the clone. She's got that. She's got that uh, Solomon wisdom in her. Oh my yeah. gosh, King Solomon and your daughter. But yeah, see, and that's the thing because I could hear my daughter saying something like that. Oh yeah. Well, if there were two of you, I'd want the real one. <laughs> that's great. Hey, um, Laura, a um, couple of things here. Um, uh, before we close out, well, actually one thing here, what are three things that you're optimistic about? Um, so just optimistic, it could be personal, professional, doesn't matter, but just three things that you're most optimistic about over the next 12 months. Hmm. Well, I'm an optimistic person in general. So I love it. That, um, personally, I'm excited about, uh, I have another book I've been working on. And so I hope that I'll be able to share that with a large audience in the next year or so. Um, I'm optimistic about, uh, again, on a personal level, my, my kids are all happy and thriving. So I'm happy with that. But, you know, I'm honestly optimistic about the world in general. And I know a lot of people have felt like, Many things have gone awry in the last uh, year or so, things that people did not expect to happen. But on the other hand, we are all still here. <laughs> and right. uh, the earth has not ended yet. And, uh, you know, most people will continue to go about their business doing normal good things in their communities and in the world. And that doesn't mean there isn't a lot of bad stuff going on, but you know, on a day-to-day -day basis and in our sort of local communities, there's so much that's good too. And I think it, we can lose sight of that when all you do is, is read headlines. And that's, and that is a great answer. Um, I just really like that. I completely agree with uh, that last statement that, you know, it's all about what we what we make and our choices and the good things that we're putting out into the world is really what matters. Um, so thank you so much, Laura. It's been awesome to speak with you again um, on our podcast. And I think it would be great if you could tell our listeners where they could find you. Yes, you can come visit me at my website, lauravandercam.com. I'm there blogging pretty frequently and, you know, I'm sometimes on social media too. Twitter at L Vandercam would love to connect with people there as well. Awesome. Well, Laura, we've just, this has been great. So we knew it. We knew it when we <laughs> met you that she'd be great. <laughs> and I, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. Definitely. Well, this has been another episode of Uphill Conversations. Always remember you can be more, do more, and have more. Your current condition does not match your emerging future. And that means anything worth having is uphill, but you cannot go uphill with downhill habits. But most importantly, you will see Megan and me and Laura on the hill. You've been listening to Uphill Conversations. 
If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the show at uphillconversations.co. See you on the hill.